section two of sherman's march to the sea and the burning of columbia south carolina from his memoirs by william tecumseh sherman this librivox recording is in the public domain section two chapter twenty one the march to the sea from atlanta to savannah november and december eighteen sixty four part one on the twelfth of november the railroad and telegraph communications with the rear were broken and the army stood detached from all friends dependent on its own resources and supplies no time was to be lost all the detachments were ordered to march rapidly for atlanta breaking up the railroad en route and generally to so much damage in the country as to make it untenable to the enemy by the fourteenth all the troops had arrived at or near atlanta and were according to orders grouped into two wings the right and left commanded respectively by major-generals o o howard and h w slocum both comparatively young men but educated and experienced officers fully competent to their command the right wing was composed of the fifteenth corps major-general p j osterhaus commanding and the seventeenth corps major-general frank p blair commanding the left wing was composed of the fourteenth corps major-general jefferson c davis commanding and the twentieth corps brigadier-general a s williams commanding the fifteenth corps had four divisions commanded by brigadier-generals charles r woods w b hazen john e smith and john m gorse the seventeenth corps had three divisions commanded by major-general j a mower and brigadier-generals m d leggett and giles a smith the fourteenth corps had three divisions commanded by brigadier-generals w p carlin james d morgan and a baird the twentieth corps had also three divisions commanded by brigadier-generals n j jackson john w gary and w t ward the cavalry division was held separate subject to my own orders it was commanded by brigadier-general judson kilpatrick and was composed of two brigades commanded by colonels eli h murray of kentucky and smith d atkins of illinois the strength of the army as officially reported is given in the following tables and shows an aggregate of fifty five thousand three hundred and twenty nine infantry five thousand and sixty three cavalry and eighteen hundred and twelve artillery in all sixty two thousand two hundred and four officers and men the most extraordinary efforts had been made to purge this army of non-combatants and of sick men for we knew well that there was to be no place of safety save with the army itself our wagons were loaded with ammunition provisions and forage and we could ill afford to haul even sick men in the ambulances so that all on this exhibit may be assumed to have been able-bodied experienced soldiers well armed well equipped and provided as far as human foresight could with all the essentials of life strength and vigorous action the two general orders made for this march appear to me even at this late date so clear emphatic and well digested that no account of that historic event is perfect without them and i give them entire even at the seeming appearance of repetition and though they called for great sacrifice and labor on the part of officers and men i insist that these orders were obeyed as well as any similar orders ever were by an army operating wholly in an enemy's country and dispersed as we necessarily were during the subsequent period of nearly six months 
special field orders number one hundred and nineteen headquarters military division of the mississippi in the field kingston georgia november eighth eighteen sixty four the general commanding deems it proper at this time to inform the officers and men of the fourteenth fifteenth seventeenth and twentieth corps that he has organized them into an army for a special purpose well known to the war department and to general grant it is sufficient for you to know that it involves a departure from our present base and a long and difficult march to a new one all the chances of war have been considered and provided for as far as human sagacity can all he asks of you is to maintain that discipline patience and courage which have characterized you in the past and he hopes through you to strike a blow at our enemy that will have a material effect in producing what we all so much desire his complete overthrow of all things the most important is that the men during marches and in camp keep their places and do not scatter about as stragglers or foragers to be picked up by a hostile people in detail it is also of the utmost importance that our wagons should not be loaded with anything but provisions and ammunition all surplus servants non-combatants and refugees should now go to the rear and none should be encouraged to encumber us on the march at some future time we will be able to provide for the poor whites and blacks who seek to escape the bondage under which they are now suffering with these few simple cautions he hopes to lead you to achievements equal in importance to those of the past by order of major general w t sherman l m dayton aide-de-camp special field orders number one hundred and twenty headquarters military division of the mississippi in the field kingston georgia november ninth eighteen sixty four one for the purpose of military operations this army is divided into two wings viz the right wing major-general o o howard commanding composed of the fifteenth and seventeenth corps the left wing major-general h w slocum commanding composed of the fourteenth and twentieth corps two the habitual order of march will be wherever practicable by four roads as nearly parallel as possible and converging at points hereafter to be indicated in orders the cavalry brigadier-general kilpatrick commanding will receive special orders from the commander-in-chief three there will be no general train of supplies but each corps will have its ammunition train and provision train distributed habitually as follows behind each regiment should follow one wagon and one ambulance behind each brigade should follow a due proportion of ammunition wagons provision wagons and ambulances in case of danger each corps commander should change this order of march by having his advance and rear brigades unencumbered by wheels the separate columns will start habitually at seven a m and make about fifteen miles per day unless otherwise fixed in orders Four the army will forage liberally on the country during the march to this end each brigade commander will organize a good and sufficient foraging party under the command of one or more discreet officers who will gather near the route travelled corn or forage of any kind meat of any kind vegetables cornmeal or whatever is needed by the command aiming at all times to keep in the wagons at least ten days provisions for his command and three days forage 
soldiers must not enter the dwellings of the inhabitants or commit any trespass but during a halt or camp they may be permitted to gather turnips potatoes and other vegetables and to drive in stock in sight of their camp to regular foraging parties must be entrusted the gathering of provisions and forage at any distance from the road travelled six to corps commanders alone is entrusted the power to destroy mills houses cotton gins etc and for them this general principle is laid down in districts and neighborhoods where the army is unmolested no destruction of each property should be permitted but should guerrillas or bushwhackers molest our march or should the inhabitants burn bridges obstruct roads or otherwise manifest local hostility then army commanders should order and enforce a devastation more or less relentless according to the measure of such hostility six as for horses mules wagons etc belonging to the inhabitants the cavalry and artillery may appropriate freely and without limit discriminating however between the rich who are usually hostile and the poor and industrious usually neutral or friendly foraging parties may also take mules or horses to replace the jaded animals of their trains or to serve as pack mules for the regiments or brigades in all foraging of whatever kind the parties engaged will refrain from abusive or threatening language and may where the officer in command thinks proper give written certificates of the facts but no receipts and they will endeavour to leave with each family a reasonable portion for their maintenance seven negroes who are able-bodied and can be of service to the several columns may be taken along but each army commander will bear in mind that the question of supplies is a very important one and that his first duty is to see to those who bear arms eight the organization at once of a good pioneer battalion for each army corps composed if possible of negroes should be attended to this battalion should follow the advance guard repair roads and double them if possible so that the columns will not be delayed after reaching bad places also army commanders should practice the habit of giving the artillery and wagons the road marching their troops on one side and instruct their troops to assist wagons at steep hills or bad crossings of streams nine captain o m poe chief engineer will assign to each wing of the army a pontoon train fully equipped and organized and the commanders thereof will see to their being properly protected at all times by order of major-general w t sherman l m dayton aide-de-camp the greatest possible attention had been given to the artillery and wagon trains the number of guns had been reduced to sixty-five or about one gun to each thousand men and these were generally in batteries of four guns each each gun caisson and forges was drawn by four teams of horses we had in all about twenty five hundred wagons with teams of six mules to each and six hundred ambulances with two horses to each the loads were made comparatively light about twenty five hundred pounds net each wagon carrying in addition the forage needed by its own team each soldier carried on his person forty rounds of ammunition and in the wagons were enough cartridges to make up about two hundred rounds per man and in like manner two hundred rounds of assorted ammunition were carried for each gun 
the wagon trains were divided equally between the four corps so that each had about eight hundred wagons and these usually on the march occupied five miles or more of road each corps commander managed his own train and habitually the artillery and wagons had the road while the men with the exception of the advance and rear guards pursued paths improvised by the aid of the wagons unless they were forced to use a bridge or causeway in common i reached atlanta during the afternoon of the fourteenth and found that all preparations had been made colonel beckwith chief commissary reporting one million two hundred thousand rations in possession of the troops which was about twenty days supply and he had on hand a good supply of beef cattle to be driven along on the hoof of forage the supply was limited being of oats and corn enough for five days but i knew that within that time we would reach a country well stocked with corn which had been gathered and stored in cribs seemingly for our use by governor brown's militia colonel poe united states engineers of my staff had been busy in his special task of destruction he had a large force at work had levelled the great depot roundhouse and the machine shops of the georgia railroad and had applied fire to the wreck one of these machine shops had been used by the rebels as an arsenal and in it were stored piles of shot and shell some of which proved to be loaded and that night was made hideous by the bursting of shells whose fragments came uncomfortably near judge lyon's house in which i was quartered the fire also reached the block of stores near the depot and the heart of the city was in flames all night but the fire did not reach the parts of atlanta where the courthouse was or the great mass of dwelling-houses the march from atlanta began on the morning of november fifteenth the right wing and cavalry following the railroad southeast towards jonesboro and general slocum with the twentieth corps leading off to the east by decatur and stone mountain toward madison these were divergent lines designed to threaten both mason and augusta at the same time so as to prevent a concentration at our intended destination or objective milledgeville the capital of georgia distant southeast about one hundred miles the time allowed each column for reaching milledgeville was seven days i remained in atlanta during the fifteenth with the fourteenth corps and the rear-guard of the right wing to complete the loading of the trains and the destruction of the buildings of atlanta which could be converted to hostile uses and on the morning of the sixteenth started with my personal staff a company of alabama cavalry commanded by lieutenant snelling and an infantry company commanded by lieutenant mccrory which guarded our small train of wagons my staff was then composed of major l m dayton aide-de-camp and acting adjutant-general major j c mccoy and major j c Audenreed aides major ward nichols had joined some weeks before at galesville alabama and was attached as an acting aide-de-camp also major henry hitchcock had joined at the same time as judge advocate colonel charles ewing was inspector-general and surgeon john moore medical director these constituted our mess we had no tents only the flies with which we nightly made bivouacs with the assistance of the abundant pine boughs which made excellent shelter as well as beds colonel l c easton was chief quartermaster colonel amos beckwith chief commissary 
Colonel O. M. Poe, Chief Engineer, and Colonel T. G. Baylor, Chief of Ordnance. These invariably rode with us during the day, but they had separate camp and mess at night. General William F. Berry had been chief of artillery in the previous campaign, but at Kingston his face was so swollen with erysipelas that he was reluctantly compelled to leave us for the rear, and he could not, on recovering, rejoin us till we had reached Savannah. About 7 a.m. of November 16th we rode out of Atlanta by the Decatur Road, filled by the marching troops and wagons of the fourteenth corps and reaching the hill just outside of the old rebel works we naturally paused to look back upon the scenes of our past battles we stood upon the very ground whereon was fought the bloody battle of july twenty second and could see the copse of wood where mcpherson fell behind us lay atlanta smouldering and in ruins the black smoke rising high in the air and hanging like a pall over the ruined city away off in the distance on the mcdonough road was the rear of howard's column the gun barrels glistening in the sun the white-topped wagons stretching away to the south and right before us the fourteenth corps marching steadily and rapidly with a cheery look and swinging pace that made light of the thousand miles that lay between us and richmond some band by accident struck up the anthem of john brown's soul goes marching on the men caught up the strain and never before or since have i heard the chorus of glory glory hallelujah done with more spirit or in better harmony of time and place then we turned our horses heads to the east atlanta was soon lost behind the screen of trees and became a thing of the past around it clings many a thought of desperate battle of hope and fear that now seem like the memory of a dream and i have never seen the place since the day was extremely beautiful clear sunlight with bracing air and an unusual feeling of exhilaration seemed to pervade all minds a feeling of something to come vague and undefined still full of venture and intense interest even the common soldiers caught the inspiration and many a group called out to me as i worked my way past them uncle billy i guess grant is waiting for us at richmond indeed the general sentiment was that we were marching for richmond and that there we should end the war but how and when they seemed to care not nor did they measure the distance or count the cost in life or bother their brains about the great rivers to be crossed and the food required for man and beast that had to be gathered by the way there was a devil-may-care feeling pervading officers and men that made me feel the full load of responsibility for success would be accepted as a matter of course whereas should we fail this march would be adjudged the wild adventure of a crazy fool i had no purpose to march direct for richmond by way of augusta and charlotte but always designed to reach the sea-coast first at savannah or port royal south carolina and even kept in mind the alternative of pensacola the first night out we camped by the roadside near lithonia stone mountain a mass of granite was in plain view cut out in clear outline against the blue sky the whole horizon was lurid with the bonfires of rail ties and groups of men all night were carrying the heated rails to the nearest trees and bending them around the trunks colonel poe had provided tools for ripping up the rails and twisting them when hot 
but the best and easiest way is the one i have described of heating the middle of the iron rails on bonfires made of the cross ties and then winding them around a telegraph pole or the trunk of some convenient sapling i attached much importance to this destruction of the railroad gave it my own personal attention and made reiterated orders to others on the subject the next day we passed through the handsome town of covington the soldiers closing up their ranks the color-bearers unfurling their flags and the bands striking up patriotic airs the white people came out of their houses to behold the sight spite of their deep hatred of the invaders and the negroes were simply frantic with joy whenever they heard my name they clustered about my horse shouted and prayed in their peculiar style which had a natural eloquence that would have moved a stone i have witnessed hundreds if not thousands of such scenes and can now see a poor girl in the very ecstasy of the methodist shout hugging the banner of one of the regiments and jumping up to the feet of jesus i remember when riding around by a by-street in covington to avoid the crowd that followed the marching column that some one brought me an invitation to dine with the sister of sam anderson who was a cadet at west point with me but the messenger reached me after we had passed the main part of the town i asked to be excused and rode on to a place designated for camp at the crossing of the ulkafawichi river about four miles to the east of the town here we made our bivouac and i walked up to a plantation house close by where were assembled many negroes among them an old gray-haired man of as fine a head as i ever saw i asked him if he understood about the war and its progress he said he did that he had been looking for the angel of the lord ever since he was knee-high and though we professed to be fighting for the union he supposed that slavery was the cause and that our success was to be his freedom i asked him if all the negro slaves comprehended this fact and he said they surely did i then explained to him that we wanted the slaves to remain where they were and not to load us down with useless mouths which would eat up the food needed for our fighting men that our success was their assured freedom that we could receive a few of their young hearty men as pioneers but that if they followed us in swarms of old and young feeble and helpless it would simply load us down and cripple us in our great task i think major henry hitchcock was with me on that occasion and made a note of the conversation and i believe that old man spread this message to the slaves which was carried from mouth to mouth to the very end of our journey and that it in part saved us from the great danger we incurred of swelling our numbers so that famine would have attended our progress it was at this very plantation that a soldier passed me with a ham on his musket a jug of sorghum molasses under his arm and a big piece of honey in his hand from which he was eating and catching my eye he remarked sotto voce and carelessly to a comrade forage liberally on the country quoting from my general orders on this occasion as on many others that fell under my personal observation i reproved the man explained that foraging must be limited to the regular parties properly detailed and that all provisions thus obtained must be delivered to the regular commissaries to be fairly distributed to the men who kept their ranks from Covington, the 14th Corps, Davis's, with which I was traveling, turned to the right for Milledgeville via Shadydale. J. 
general slocum was ahead at madison with the twentieth corps having torn up the railroad as far as that place and thence had sent geary's division on to the Oconee to burn the bridges across that stream when his corps turned south by eatonton for milledgeville the common objective for the first stage of the march we found abundance of corn molasses meal bacon and sweet potatoes we also took a good many cows and oxen and a large number of mules in all these the country was quite rich never before having been visited by a hostile army the recent crop had been excellent had been just gathered and laid by for the winter as a rule we destroyed none but kept our wagons full and fed our teams bountifully the skill and success of the men in collecting forage was one of the features of this march each brigade commander had authority to detail a company of foragers usually about fifty men with one or two commissioned officers selected for their boldness and enterprise this party would be dispatched before daylight with the knowledge of the intended day's march and camp would proceed on foot five or six miles from the route travelled by their brigade and then visit every plantation and farm within range they would usually procure a wagon or family carriage load it with bacon cornmeal turkeys chickens ducks and everything that could be used as food or forage and would then regain the main road usually in advance of their train when this came up they would deliver to the brigade commissary the supplies thus gathered by the way often would i pass these foraging parties at the roadside waiting for their wagons to come up and thus amused at their strange collections mules horses even cattle packed with old saddles and loaded with hams bacon bags of cornmeal and poultry of every character and description although this foraging was attended with great danger and hard work there seemed to be a charm about it that attracted the soldiers and it was a privilege to be detailed on such a party daily they returned mounted on all sorts of beasts which were at once taken from them and appropriated to the general use but the next day they would start out again on foot only to repeat the experience of the day before no doubt many acts of pillage robbery and violence were committed by these parties of foragers usually called bummers for i have since heard of jewellery taken from women and the plunder of articles that never reached the commissary but these acts were exceptional and incidental i never heard of any cases of murder or rape and no army could have carried along sufficient food and forage for a march of three hundred miles so that foraging in some shape was necessary the country was sparsely settled, with no magistrates or civil authorities who could respond to requisitions, as is done in all the wars of Europe, so that this system of foraging was simply indispensable to our success. By it our men were well supplied with all the essentials of life and health, while the wagons retained enough in case of unexpected delay, and our animals were well fed. Indeed, when we reached Savannah, the trains were pronounced by experts to be the finest in flesh and appearance ever seen with any army. Habitually each corps followed some main road, and the foragers, being kept out on the exposed flank, served all the military uses of flankers. The main columns gathered, by the roads travelled, much forage and food, 
chiefly meat corn and sweet potatoes and it was the duty of each division and brigade quartermaster to fill his wagons as fast as the contents were issued to the troops the wagon trains had the right to the road always but each wagon was required to keep closed up so as to leave no gaps in the column if for any purpose any wagon or group of wagons dropped out of place they had to wait for the rear and this was always dreaded for each brigade commander wanted his train up at camp as soon after reaching it with his men as possible i have seen much skill and industry displayed by these quartermasters on the march in trying to load their wagons with corn and fodder by the way without losing their place in column they would while marching shift the loads of wagons so as to have six or ten of them empty then riding well ahead they would secure possession of certain stacks of fodder near the road or cribs of corn leave some men in charge then open fences and a road back for a couple of miles return to their trains divert the empty wagons out of column and conduct them rapidly to their forage load up and regain their place in column without losing distance on one occasion i remember to have seen ten or a dozen wagons thus loaded with corn from two or three full cribs almost without halting these cribs were built of logs and roofed the train guards by a lever had raised the whole side of the crib a foot or two the wagons drove close alongside and the men in the cribs lying on their backs kicked out a wagon-load of corn in the time i have taken to describe it in a well-ordered and well-disciplined army these things might be deemed irregular but i am convinced that the ingenuity of these younger officers accomplished many things far better than i could have ordered and the marches were thus made and the distances were accomplished in the most admirable way habitually we started from camp at the earliest break of dawn and usually reached camp soon after noon the marches varied from ten to fifteen miles a day though sometimes on extreme flanks it was necessary to make as much as twenty but the rate of travel was regulated by the wagons and considering the nature of the roads fifteen miles per day was deemed the limit the pontoon trains were in like manner distributed in about equal proportions to the four corps giving each a section of about nine hundred feet the pontoons were of the skeleton pattern with cotton canvas covers each boat with its proportion of bulks and cheeses constituting a load for one wagon by uniting two such sections together we could make a bridge of eighteen hundred feet enough for any river we had to traverse but habitually the leading brigade would out of the abundant timber improvise a bridge before the pontoon train could come up unless in the cases of rivers of considerable magnitude such as the ukmulgi okani uguchi savannah etc end of section two